Um, I loved running, believe it or not. I loved running track, and I actually really loved competing. Now, this may have been when I was in the fourth grade that I ran track, and I may have been um, competing for a private school, and I don't know if you know much about private schools, but um, they're, they're not like the best athletes. If you're in private school, you're, you're a really good athlete, okay? The private school that I went to was not filled with good athletes. And so I was running track for a private school against other private schools. And um, it was either go to chapel or join track. Now, if you don't know what chapel is, it's like church more than once a week. Okay, more than just a Tuesday, more than just a Sunday. We had chapel three times a week at my private school. Three times. And my dad was the chapel dude. I don't know what you call him. The chapel teacher. And so the choices were chapel or track. So I chose track. And I stayed because I ended up loving it. And I ended up falling in love with beating my fellow fourth graders. Now, if you have never witnessed a fourth grade track meet or an elementary school track meet, if you ever have free time, go watch. Okay? It is a sight to see. And uh, this track meet, I remember, it was like herding cats every time we were at track meets. And I remember being the only one that felt like I was there for the trophy. Like I was there for the gold I wanted to win. And now um, they didn't let me run hurdles because I was not very tall in elementary school and it never got tall ever. And so I ran the 200 yard dash. I don't know if it's still called that. Maybe, nobody runs track in here. Lively bunch you are, okay. Is it the 200-yard dash? Sure. Thank you, Sonny. Okay. One of y'all is alive up in here today. Now, I ran the 200-yard dash, and every time we lined up on, like, the track line, I don't know what you call this. None of you run track, so it's fine. Uh, you run up at the what? The starting line. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> That's where you start, okay? Uh, we would line up at the starting line, and um, every time, you know, you're at the starting line, I'd like look over this way, and there's a kid crying, and I look over this way, and there's a kid crying, and then you look back down this way, and there's a kid picking the other kid's nose, and then you look down this way, that kid's shoes are untied, and like, it was a mess, okay? The biggest mess I've ever seen in my life, and I just remember every time, every time that dude would say go, I would win. And it wasn't because I was the fastest. It's because I wasn't, really, I wasn't the slowest. I just wasn't the one crying and my shoes were tied and I had a snack. So I won every, I can't lie in church. I won most of my track meets, but mostly because the kids disqualified themselves anyway. And they could not keep their eyes on the prize. Those kids did not want to be there. Now, after fourth grade, I haven't really ran much. I ran a couple 5Ks here and there. Um, I coached girls on the run. Again, if you want to watch a disaster, go be a girls on the run coach. That was so fun. Um, and then I also, before I got married, as you're like finding your spouse, Pastor JL told us, make a checklist of what you want in your spouse. And I was like, oh yeah, work ethic, that's cool and important. Loves Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that good stuff I had on there. The most important thing, one of the most important things to me, was that I would not marry into a family where they woke up on Thanksgiving morning and ran a turkey trot for fun. Okay, that was like, that was the deal breaker, uh, to be honest. And I, I didn't want to marry into a family 
dinners. That's not fun for me. I want to wake up on Thanksgiving and I want to eat absolutely everything that I can eat. Okay, can I get an amen? Amen. Absolutely. Okay. Now, um, praise the Lord. He did answer that prayer. And I mean, he's a good husband, but his family is not a family of runners. And I appreciate that more than anything. But it took me a a while to realize that we are also running a race. Now, this isn't a race where we're competing with other people. This isn't a race where you're trying to get a trophy or you're trying to trip other people so they don't win. This is not one of those kinds of races. It's not an earthly race. See, we are running a race that is meant to be ran with others. We are running a race where we are cheering others on, where we are championing those around us, where we are saying, yes, you can do it as well. And we're running, running for a prize. But we're not running for an earthly prize. We're not running for a trophy. We're not running for money. We're not running for a medal. It's not one of those races. See, the race we're running is a race that we find in the Bible. The Bible talks about a race that God has set before us. And each and every one of us, whether we know it or not, are running a race. Now, your race looks different from my race, and my race looks different from yours. It looks different from my parents. It looks different from my grandparents. It is a race that God has put before you. And this race is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And this race is the race of our Christian life. And all of us are running this race. And all of us are trying our best to run this race. Now, God has created and he has planned each in every one of you. Every single one of you, God decided, I need you. I need you in this room. I need you in your school. I need you in your family. I need you in your friendships. I need you. Psalm 139 says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And the purpose of this race of life is to finish well and to finish strong. The race that God has set before you is your race. It's not anybody else's, but it is your race. And God says, yes, I want you to run this with people, but I also have some instructions of how I want you to run your race. And so God leaves us instructions, whether life is good or life is bad, or we're walking through the trenches or we're on cloud nine, God has left us instructions of how we are to run our race. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. What this means is that we are surrounded by the people who have ran our race before us. The people who have kept the faith, who have persevered to the end and finished strong. And those are the people that are cheering us on. But I think sometimes in our race of life, in our own each individual race, There are things that try to come into our lane. 
There are things that try to trip us up. There are things that try to mess us up, things that maybe try to weigh us down. And so tonight, I want us to be aware of two of these things. And the first thing that we have to watch out for when we're running is our own sin. Now remember, sin is just a fancy church word for saying that we did something bad. And sin is anything that separates us from God. A sin could be lying, right? Maybe you lied to your parents or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it's cheating, maybe you cheated on a test. Maybe it was having sex before marriage. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's watching something we shouldn't be watching. Maybe it's texting while driving. A little guilty of that one. But I think sometimes it's easier to not bring our sin into the light. It's easier to just be like, yeah, I struggle, but that's okay. I don't need to bring it up, I'm fine. If I bring it up, then it's gonna get kinda awkward and I don't wanna do that. And I think it's easier if we just hide our sin. But first John says, but God is faithful and fair. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins. He will forgive every wrong thing that we have done. He will make us pure. When we confess our sins, when we confess the bad things we've done before God, he will forgive you and he does forgive us. But have you ever found yourself asking God for forgiveness? Like, hey man, you know, sorry I, sorry I cheated on that test, but it was a pretty hard math test. Could you blame me? And we ask for forgiveness, but then we're kind of left feeling still gross about it like still gross about what we just done, even though we've asked for forgiveness, even though we've said, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? But I'm still feeling that yuck. I'm still feeling that ick. Well, that is something called shame. And shame, it's not from God. Shame is from the enemy. And what the enemy wants is for us to sit there and to dwell on what we've just done. He wants you to sit there and to dwell and to make you feel like you are gross, that you are disgusting for what you have done, that you should feel horrible for what you have just done, and it feels like, man, there's no way I can get past this. That is from the enemy. Now, the enemy wants us to feel our failures. He wants us to feel the things that we have done bad. He wants us to be able to think that there is no hope, that there is no way God could forgive you, that there's no way God is forgiving you. That's all from the enemy that feeling is. Now the enemy has already lost, but now he wants you to lose. And he will do anything and everything he can because maybe, just maybe, you might feel like, oh, I still feel bad for what I've done, so now I'm just not gonna go to God anymore because if I don't go to God, then I don't bring up my sin, then I don't feel bad. But that's not how it works. We come to God and we ask for forgiveness and he forgives us. See, shame makes us feel like we're bad people because we did something bad, not that we just made a mistake. But when we come to God and we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. That verse in Hebrews says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We bring our sin into the light, we ask for forgiveness, and we move on. We bring our sin, we say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry I lied. I'm sorry I cheated. I'm sorry I went too far. I'm sorry I watched what I wasn't supposed to watch. And we ask for forgiveness, 
and we move on and we keep running our race. Isaiah 43 says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. When you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven and God forgets about it. So that feeling of shame, that feeling of wanting to dwell in that, that's not from God, that's from the enemy. So we shake it off and we say, nope, I choose to believe that God forgives me. I choose to believe that Satan, you are a liar and shame is not from God. So I'm gonna shake off the sin, I'm gonna shake off the shame and I'm gonna move on and I'm gonna keep running my race. The second thing that weighs us down and maybe will try to stop us from running our race is when we keep our eyes off of Jesus. When we take our eyes off of Jesus. Now, I'm a for real better human when my eyes are on Jesus. When my eyes are on Jesus, I'm a better employee. When my eyes are on Jesus, I'm a better wife, I'm a better sister, I'm a better friend, I'm a better aunt. I can hear Jesus clearly when my eyes are on Jesus. But the moment I take my eyes off of him, the moment that I get too lazy to pursue him, the moment that I say, man, it's easier to watch TV instead of talking to you, Jesus, it's, it's better, right? That's what it feels like in the moment that God, I don't need to spend time with you. It's okay if I neglect a couple minutes. The moment I take my eyes off of Jesus is the moment that I now start to compare myself to everything and to everyone. I get caught up in what others are doing around me. I get caught up in what's happening on social media. I get caught up and I lose sight of who God has called me to be. I lose sight of what God has called me to be and I lose sight of who God is and I start to doubt him. And I'll find myself comparing myself to my coworkers. Why aren't I funny like Joe? He's kind of funny. Why aren't I smart like Sean? Why can't I preach like Maddles? Why am I not organized like Hope? Why can't I lead like JL? I start to compare myself to my sister because at my age, she already had a baby and then I think, oh my goodness, I should have a baby. She has two babies. I don't even want a baby. Have you seen a baby? They kind of smell, they're gross, right? And then I like go through this spiral and then I start to compare myself to somebody on social media. The people that I follow, I'm like, oh man, she's real fit. I should go to the gym. She goes to the gym like three times a day. I don't even have time to go to the gym three times a day, but maybe I should find time to go to the gym three times a day. Should I quit my job to go to the gym three times a day? No, that's stupid. I still need to make money. And I go through this entire spiral and I look at what do their houses look like on Instagram. I'm so guilty of like, man, I want to DIY everything. I know how to DIY nothing. All right, and I'm like, why does my house not look like their house? Why is their house put together? And my house is a mess. I don't even have kids. I went through this whole spiral again. Should I have kids? I don't know, right? When the Lord wants me to, I don't know. But I start to compare myself to everyone and to everything around me. And when our eyes are off of Jesus, we compare. And so maybe for you, it looks like, well, that kid's smarter in class than me. That kid gets better grades. That kid's stronger. He has bigger muscles than me. That girl's skinnier than I am. They have perfect hair. My hair looks, woo. And we start to compare ourselves. They have AirPods. Mine are knockoffs from Amazon. They have a nice car. Mine's an old car. It barely even runs. But praise the Lord, you got gas. And we start to compare ourselves. Well, their parents, my friend's parents are married while mine are divorced. Those people have more money I don't. They have a better job than me in high school. It's high school, okay? Just get a job. But comparison 
is the thief of all good things. Comparison kills, and it kills our dreams, it kills our purpose, it kills our joy, it kills. And comparison is a deadly game that we can't win and we won't win. There's always going to be somebody stronger than you. There's always gonna be somebody prettier than you. There's always gonna be somebody more spiritual than you. There's always going to feel like somebody gets more breaks in life than you. Like why do you have to go through all this hard stuff? There's always going to be somebody else. When we start to compare ourselves to each other, we usually do it to a standard that God never intended us to compare ourselves to. Comparison is a lose-lose. Either we look at somebody else and we think, man, I wish what they had, that I have what they had, or we look at somebody else and we say, I'm better than them. One leads to pity and one leads to pride. Neither are what God wants for us or what God has for us, all because we took our eyes off of Jesus. God intended each and every one of you to have unique gifts and unique talents. You have things that nobody else can do. I can't preach like Madeline because I wasn't made to be Madeline. I was made to be Brittany, right? Alex can't be Peyton and Peyton can't be Alex because God uniquely designed them to be exactly who they are supposed to be. Comparison completely takes away God's plan of creating each and every one of us different than anybody else on this planet. And I struggled for this for years. From the time I was young, even now. Growing up, my siblings were tall, I was short. My siblings were thin, I was bigger. My siblings were athletic, I was not. And constantly, and I go so far into this comparison game that I start to think, well maybe if I look different, maybe if I was different, maybe if I was funnier, maybe if I was prettier, then people would like me, then I wouldn't have to compare myself to somebody else. But it's because I took my eyes off of Jesus. When my eyes are off of Jesus and they're on everybody else and I'm focused on what everybody else is doing, I'm judgmental, I'm harsh, I'm mean, I'm not a fun person to be around, all because of comparison. All because I think that what if, what if I could just be like them? What if, what if? God never intended you to be anybody else. He intended you to be exactly who you are. And he wants to tell you exactly who you are and how he has created you to be. We have to keep our eyes on him. Because when my eyes are elsewhere, I think of everybody else. I think of what God has called somebody else to do and I think, why didn't he call me to do that? And I look at what other people have and I look at their possessions and I think, why do I not have that? The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Again, that Hebrews verse says, we run our race by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We run our race. We don't run somebody else's race. You got your own lane to stay in, and this race of life is hard enough. And then you add in the mix of of comparing it to everybody else and how fast they're running and at what pace they're running and how good they're running their race. You are designed to run your race, not somebody else's, but your race. So we have to shake off, we have to shake off comparison and we have to say, God, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. 
and you keep your eyes on Jesus by including him in your decisions. Talk to him. Talk to him before you talk to a friend. Get in your Bible. Y'all, you got an app on your phone that reads the Bible to you. The guy's voice is kind of annoying, but it's awesome. He reads it to you while you're driving to school. I don't know if I'd recommend that. That's still kind of sketchy. But you can worship on your way to school. You can talk to God every day, anytime, no matter when, no matter where. You keep your eyes on Jesus and you shake off the comparison. You shake it off and you run your race. And you say, I'm gonna run with endurance. I'm gonna run this marathon. I'm not running this sprint, but I'm gonna run and I'm gonna stay in my lane. Because God didn't create you to be like anybody else. God created you to be exactly who you are. So I want us to take just a minute because I think maybe some of us, we're not even running our race with Jesus. We're running life and we're tripping left and right and we're in everybody else's lane and we're getting backwards and we're trying to run the whole other way and it's a mess. And I don't know if you've truly invited Jesus to come and run your race with you. This took me a long time to realize that, oh, Jesus has my back in this race. He's not letting me run alone. He's not letting me run by myself, but instead I have the God of the universe who wants to run with me. I have the God of the universe who wants to lead me in my race. I have the God of the universe who is championing me, who is on my side, who's cheering for me. But it's up to you to invite him into the race. And it's up to you to say, yeah, wait, I need help. I need to keep my eyes on him. I need to ask for forgiveness from sin. I haven't done that in a while. I need Jesus to run with me. I need him to be on my side. I need, him, I need to be back in my own lane. And so I wanna give us a chance to do that. So if you haven't invited Jesus into your lane to run with you, I want us to just all bow our heads and close our eyes. And it's not for your friends. It's not how they're running their race. It's not what they're doing. It's remember, it's between you and God. And I want to give you a second to say, man, I need Jesus to run in my lane. I need him to run this race with me because this life is hard enough and I can't do it on my own. And so all that looks like is, Jesus, will you run with me? I'm sorry I've put you to the side. I'm sorry that maybe you were running with me and then I moved you to the back but I need you to run the race with me. So I'll give you a second just to do that. that I think that there's some of us in this room who maybe we haven't actually talked to Jesus in a minute. Maybe we haven't told him what we're struggling with. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. And maybe there's a certain sin that you've never brought up into the light that you just think there's no way God could forgive me for this. There's no way, but he can and he will and he wants to. And so if there's something that you just need to tell him, God, I'm sorry I went too far with my boyfriend. 
don't, I didn't want to do that. I'm sorry. And so you just ask for forgiveness. You can do it in the quiet of your heart. You can just say, God, I'm sorry. But be specific. He wants to hear from you. So all that looks like is, God, I'm sorry for blank. Would you please forgive me? But go ahead and do that. After you've asked for forgiveness, I feel like the Lord is like, hey, I've already forgiven you, but now you have to believe that for yourself. You have to choose to believe that I've already forgiven you and I've already forgotten about it. So you don't have to keep bringing it up. You don't have to keep living in this shame. You don't have to keep living in this guilt because once you have asked for forgiveness, it is gone. And then you stand up and you keep running your race. So God, we, we're sorry. We're sorry that maybe we've pushed you to the side. We're sorry that, man, we've just can't seem to get it right right now. And I feel that too. And so Lord, we just say, we're sorry. And we ask that you would just come back and run this race with us because we can't do it by ourselves. This is hard enough to run our race. And so Lord, I pray that anybody who's just kind of struggling to put you back in their lane, they would. And they just make the choice right now. And Lord, we just choose to say as a group, we're sorry for what we've done. We're sorry for lying, for cheating, for stealing. We're sorry for all of it. And we know that you saw it all. And we know that you forgive us. And so Lord, I pray right now that each and every one of these students chooses to believe that when I ask for forgiveness, I am forgiven and it is forgotten about. And so Lord, I just pray off shame right now in Jesus' name. And instead, Lord, I just pray that you would release your joy on them, that they would know how much you love each and every one of these kids in this room. And God, you designed them, you created them, you love them. And so Lord, I pray that as we go about our life, as we go about even school tomorrow, we remember, man, Jesus is in my lane. I'm in my own lane and I can do anything through him. And so God, I pray right now that as they go on their life and as they go through school, they just feel your love in every step of their life and that they would stop. Anytime we've made a mistake, we would stop. We would ask for forgiveness. We would shake it off and we would move on. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.